Hello, you're listening to the Black Mentors Podcast, where we ask, listen, learn, and invest in the knowledge and truths of black men from all socioeconomic backgrounds. We also advocate for positive images and narratives of black males in all forms of media. I'm your host, Rodney Harmon, and we are joined today by our guest, Lazone Graves. Lazone is the president of IBSA Incorporated and Street University. Today we'll talk to Lazone about employment, entrepreneurship, training services, and youth development for youth offenders, low-income parents, and aspiring entrepreneurs seeking to start or expand a business. Good morning, Lazone. How you doing? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? Pretty good today. Good, good. Uh, what is IS or correction? What is IBSA and Street University? And where did the names come from? Well, IBSA, before its, I guess, transformation or change, uh, was started International Black Student Alliance. And even before then, I had just found some paperwork because I'm going through the, some archives and had started in 91 uh, as the National Black Student Alliance. Okay. And it was a, I was a student at Washburn. And even though they had like the BSU, maybe another other black group, they just didn't seem to be fiery doing some things. And so it started a different BSU type at Washburn. And eventually by 93, after I graduated, in order to keep doing organizing things that I was doing at Washburn, I incorporated um, the organization. The difference between the National Black Student Alliance and the International Black Student Alliance is I'd received some correspondence from some brothers in Nigeria. This is like back in 91. Okay. And we signed like an agreement of cooperation and memorandums of cooperation, which really put us at an international perspective. Okay. They had a little a little temporary IBSA home office in Kano, Nigeria, Ibrahim Jamalo and Nazif Adams. And so then changed the name to International Black Student Alliance, got out, incorporated, and rolled with International Black Student Alliance for, for a long time. I think it was around 2000, 2001. Just shortened the name through the state to IBSA Inc., Okay. Streets University is is the name of a, I would like to think of the name of a division within our organization that focuses on the youth development, youth and young adult development, and not just your reading, writing, academic. That's what public schools and schools are supposed to do. But those other things that they need to know and experience uh, it's gone by a variety of names. I think it started out as the Money Tree Income Opportunity Program. It was always based on youth enterprise development, not so much entrepreneurship, but the organization would have products or services that they could sell, whether it's a service where they would learn the skill and sell it or a product like a T-shirt or a raffle ticket that we had and they could sell it, and they would learn the principles of residual commissioned income, you know, not just wage income. So looking at the bigger picture of the organization, 
if the uh, mission was to create opportunity, then that's what had to do. So Street University really is a youth uh, enterprise development initiative. That was at the foundation of our organization. It, like I said, it went through a variety of names, but now it's Streets University because there's not just entrepreneurship or tech anymore. It's sort of a combination of the two. In 91, 93, there was no ability to podcast in websites and smartphones and social media. Okay. And so, uh, fortunately, if you have the mindset of an enterprising person, it, whether it's toothpicks or selling advertisements for someone's podcast or creating you a YouTube channel and trying to make you $20,000 a month, <laughs> you know, which is possible now. Yes. That it wasn't then. So uh, both the organization and the division, uh, Streets University, uh, allows me to continue to be creative and do things and try new things and hopefully uh, be a foundation, a platform where others can come in and try, try new things as well. Okay, all right. Um, to get off the subject here for a second, uh, we're on location at Lazone's place and uh, what you hear in the background is some uh, air conditioning noises and stuff. And what we try to do at uh, Black Mentors, we try to bring you the real authentic area of where you're going to be working at and uh and so you'll notice anytime you see it on our podcast or hear on our podcast we don't do no editing and the reason why we don't do no editing is because we want you to know that this is life this is the true life in front of you there is no uh you can always go back in life and and correct your mistakes but you also got to understand that you know when you hear stuff on social media you hear and you see stuff on social media you got to understand that majority of the time it's a facade uh, so like i said again what we do here on black mentors if you hear stuff in the background that's what's going to happen you're going to be in interviews where you get a phone call you're going to be in uh, out on the street where somebody hollers your name or you're going to hear somebody hunk a horn or so uh, this is real, you know, on location. The only thing we're not live visually, but we are, you know, on location. This is not pre-scripted. Yes, uh, Lazone got a, a list of questions that I was going to ask him, but at the same time, in those questions are questions within those questions. <laughs> So, like I said, once again, if you hear something in the background, it's the AC going off, or if Lazone get a phone call, or if I get a phone call, uh, we're going to try to ignore it, but this is life. All right, back to Lazone. Uh, I may have missed it when you were talking about the start of IBSA and stuff, but the question is, uh, at the time that you started IBSA, what was happening in your life and what was the urgency to begin it at that precise time? Well, uh, IBSA probably, be, again, is an evolution of NBSA, the National Black Student Alliance, which was started as a student group at Washburn University in 91. And I had been here 
maybe a year or a little more, just got to Topeka, no family, no friends, no history, no nothing, no nobody. And um, sometimes that perspective of not having people that you know sort of focused on me being here as okay. a student. And so I was working at the maybe library already. And I started, uh, I found the section for uh, black folks, you know. And so I really, my growing up, I was not around this type of information on Malcolm and Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman. I was shielded, you know, from that. And so I sort of got a fascination of the books there. And I, I started reading more than I was working. But uh, it made me start looking at some bigger things. You know, you, you read something when your mind is open to receive anything can happen whether good or bad so uh, I do remember reading uh, Malcolm and Garvey and then I'm looking at the organizations and the problems you know the Washburn University Kansas State or any predominantly white university which is normally where they have a BSU because there are issues that are going on with those few black students that the general population are not addressing, cannot address, and sometimes are addressing wrong. Okay. And so uh, we can be conditioned to just go to the school to get the degree, but school and education should be a basis of learning knowledge, and applied knowledge is where you can make things happen. If I'm going to Washburn in political science uh, and I just stay there to get my degree and leave, I would not realize that it is bad public policy that's keeping the stagnation going off in Topeka, whereas a student, and I'm not from here, I'm not really venturing downtown to learn about why is it black businesses, contractors are not getting a fair share of their contracting? Why are black men such a higher number of unemployed and other statistics? And as I started learning this stuff and looking around for some leadership, it's like, you know, then, I don't know, I just got some bug bit me, probably reading from them books there, to whereas to apply what I was learning. And so uh, other things started happening, and for I can't even remember how we got on the radar for the Young Brothers who was over in Nigeria, which made it, uh, uh, when they reached out, I was never thinking much of an international capacity like that, but you start realizing how the history of Africa is forever tied to the African-American, but we are not doing business, working with, dialoguing with Africans. Yes. Business or education. And so that's where a lot of our history get lost at too. And yes. In the school books and. Yes. So corporations, as a part of the, what I was going to Washburn for was the legal assistant program, and there was, uh, you're learning about the formation of businesses and corporations and things of that nature there. Looking at the traditional black organizations at that time, there was an Urban League, an NAACP, BSUs were not anything new. What we are been doing historically these organizations isn't anything new and that belief that 
if things are not getting better, we just can't keep doing the same things. Now, when you are an individual, you can live your life and go get a job. Yeah. Uh, but when you're a corporation, you are a, a, an independent legal entity. There's things that you can do. And then it's about the choice. Some feed the poor, some mentor, some advocate. And sometimes that advocacy is a very tough thing to do yeah. because it's not something that is tangible, but it kicks down the doors of making opportunity for a lot of people because you're taking on a lot of people who don't want that change to happen. Our organization was going to do things and take on issues that none of the other organizations would. And since then, to this day, we have. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, you say you're not from Topeka, and you say that uh, when you started Washburn, you started learning more about black history. Can you explain a little bit about where you grew up at and, and why you what school did you go to that wasn't teaching a little bit about black history? Well, I, I was, uh, I grew up in Manhattan, Kansas, right down there. Right there, here. yeah. And I was, I was adopted by my great uncle and his wife, and he was army, military, and they lived in the country, as far as I grew up remembering living in the country. Okay. A bunch of dogs in the country. Yeah. <laughs> but they sent me to a private school. And so they would drive me from the country to a private school. Of course, this had to be in the early 60s, you know, whatever. Uh, and because I'm probably the only black student in the school. Okay. And I went to that school from first grade to graduating graduating high school it was almost always that away I mean this is a private Catholic school you mean that way like being the only black okay yes uh, maybe another would come in briefly because the military military in and out but we're there and yeah. I'm there uh, so this is just not the environment of a private Catholic school that they're going to talk about this. Okay. Um, even in the high school days, I mean, considering when I was there, there was a lot of turmoil and stuff going on, you know, King and other things, civil rights movement that you're not, you're not hearing that stuff out in the country. So you're dropping me off at this foreign environment and then picking me up and taking me back out to the country, you know, and that was just sort of the course did you I would as I got older, uh we lost the property, uh everything to a flood. Okay. And moved out into it was still like the country, but it was a trailer park. And then eventually moved into the house where my where my dad's at now, which was only about four or five blocks from the school, uh, the private school. So, you know, I was playing football. I was living the life of a high school, sort of oblivious, you know, and I have, you know, there were more, when we moved into town, there were more black folks who was, we lived around and I always went to the two churches, you know, the Catholic church on Saturday and then we also go, or Sunday, 
and would also go to one of the the Baptist churches, you know, in the evening, you know. So, uh, but that's not going where they're talking about black history. They're going to talk about the word. Yes. And this wasn't uh, something that my mom or dad ever talked about. So that was, uh, but now that I'm older, you know, this was real. Yes. And I think that it is important that black adults be honest with their kids right now on what the history is and not let them find out further down the road. If you're white, adopting black children. Yes. To be proactive in letting them know. Uh, You shouldn't have to wait to be in your 30s to learn about Marcus Garvey's existence and uh, where Malcolm was going with his organization of Afro-American unity. But there's a lot of distraction, you know, from who's the now U.S. black billionaire. But that doesn't take away the history of why, what happened, because it can shine a light on why we are still in certain situations. We are worse off today socioeconomically. Economically, yes. Than when we were at the beginning of affirmative action. Yes. And unless you are into research, you will never actually see the numbers. And once you look at the raw numbers, how can you ever think any way again? It's like, I can't think of my school. There's no way that our school, when I was going there, would have been speaking out against racial inequality. It's a bunch of nuns and priests, you know. Yes. It was it was about theology and religion, you know, and play football and make the referee, you know, do the touchdown symbol, and you're good. Yeah. And so, it's my friends. I grew up with them. These are my friends to this very day, like family. You know, all these white students that I grew up with, you know. And so I don't know what my mom, adopted mom was, because she was adamant that you, wasn't going to go to the public school. And education was important in the household. If I got C's, you know, I wasn't going to be playing no football. Uh, That was instilled into me more than my knowledge of black history. Okay. But as long as you live and you get to a certain age, that knowledge is going to be out there anyway. If, If getting it late transformed me into being who I am today. Today, yes. I would tell some folks. Hold up, hold up. <laughs> no, I think yeah. now, in retro, now I think you should have learned quicker. A lot quicker? Yeah. Okay. Now, but but if in that school, though, did you feel, I mean, besides your skin color, did you feel different? No. Okay. Not until probably getting into high, high school. school. Yeah, high school yeah. when you start. Uh, playing other schools and different in football and stuff like that. Oh how did, yeah. How did you? Yeah. I mean, when you went to the Manhattan schools, I guess you would play Manhattan at the no, time. No, we were a small oh, private okay. school, so we were like two A. You know, okay. And we would play other little two A schools in Kansas, like Gillian, White City. Yeah. Where there were no black people, maybe yeah. one. So you would be the only black on the field. Yeah. And basically, your parents, if they went to the game, would be the only. Just my mom. Yeah, your your mother would be the only one in the stands, black parent in the stands. Yeah. 
in, oh. in retrospect now, that's just how it had to be. Yes. Okay. Because she would always drive to my games. Yeah. Did she ever mention anything about? No. No? She never really? And when incidents happened where, you know, I was a good football player. Yeah. I was probably the only black football player that all of them had to play against back at that time, 74, 75 or whatever. But, you know get a good run they tackle you and they push her helmet into the mud saying nigger I never really grew up knowing what that word was knowing what it meant yeah but you never heard nobody else calling someone else that when you when they were getting tackled no 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 so you knew you knew it was something but you didn't know basically how bad it was yeah, at the yeah, time yeah okay yeah alright and so I just and I never said anything yeah, you know, because you, re- yeah, like I said, you really didn't know. You yeah. knew it was toward you, but yeah, you didn't yeah. know what it meant. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, it maybe that's what made me a really good football player. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was good, okay. and I think that everybody thought that I was going to go somewhere playing football. Uh, I love to play football. It's uh, was a distraction from me having to ever think about knowing anything about an old damn black history. Yeah. And no black pass. Okay. You know, uh, it's a conditioning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and it's something that my mom, she was very supportive of. Uh, and other things like tap dancing lessons and piano lessons. She gave me uh, a lot of exposure to other things. Besides just sports. Yes. Okay. Okay. What, um... Your junior year, what do you remember anything? And I just say your junior year because you're about to transition and you know the next year is going to be your last year. And junior year is usually when a lot of people start thinking about their future as to what they want to be. Uh, Like you said, you were real good in football and everybody thought you would go play football. What was your thoughts, if you could take us back to your junior year in high school, what was your thoughts? that you that you wanted to be did you want to be a football player did you want to play sports did you think anything outside of sports that you wanted to be since your dad was in the military correct yes okay did you think about the military at all no i didn't think about the military uh my mom said you you were sending you to a private school so not so much that you don't if to not go into the army to serve but not go into the I mean, for whatever. I mean, she okay. was very. Yeah. Uh, you know. A lot of a lot of parents think like that. I think I, I, I was in the army, and uh, it's kind of hard wanting to send your kid to the military. But I mean, that's I would think that's the same with any occupation. Like I used to be a cop too. Mm-hmm. I don't want my kid to be a cop. So I think it's almost like any occupation. So. Well, I think that uh, to serve is a requirement, but yes. in they're looking, considering what was going on back in that time, you know, that um, when you have a certain level of education, you go into like the Air Force or the Navy. Yes. And other went into battalion type of yes. Army or yeah. Marines. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was a Republican household, Republican okay. spokeswoman, a lot of 
politicians would come to the house being in retrospect at that stage she was a, a vocal mouth in the community a majority white community you know I had to be uh, but Bob Dole and his wife and a lot of politicians they were always staples coming to our house you know uh, and I think she was probably grooming me to be some type of a politician you know, somewhere. Yeah. But what were your thoughts of where you wanted to be? Well, considering junior in high school? Yes. Now, I've gone from the country, dropped off at this white school and made white friends all these years who were really my good friends. Uh, and we played football. We had home ec class together. You know, I was I pulled out my yearbook and – uh, by junior, there was another brother in his family had came there, uh, Vance, and he's like my, one of my best brothers just right now. Um, so there were more in the school. But in the book, it shows that I'm the only black that ever went from first grade to graduating high school in okay. that whole school's history. And so uh, anybody, I grew up knowing them one-on-one, -on -one, staying overnight with them, crying, sobbing, and other stuff longer than I did with my own biological family, which is all in Texas. Okay. Uh, so I was good in football. I was going to get a scholarship and go do kickoff returns back for K-State University. Yeah. You know, uh, that was my intentions. Uh -huh. Eventually I didn't do that. I, I, I did it for Benedictine College. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, a couple of times. Put me straight on varsity. And now, so, Benedictine out of Atchison? Yeah. Okay. So, as of today, back then, 77, 78, it wasn't about the money, the bling bling, the cars that you get with getting a pro deal. You were actually yes. just of the love of the sport. Yes. You know, Passion I considered sport. myself an artist on kickoff and punt return. Yeah, it was an art form. Like yes. you said, it was more of a passion compared to just looking at it as a uh, money venue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're wanting a Lamborghini, you know, and bling and all of that. It, that wasn't a part of the press and how it was sold. Yes. You know, so I just loved I just loved the sport. And I've done, I did a lot of other, uh, not a lot of other things, but uh, martial arts wasn't that much on the radar, although... There, it was a part. You know, I had already canceled out doing piano lessons and tap dancing. Okay. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I played in band. You know, all those years, all my friends. You know, you start out a band in grade school, and we play band. When you have that bond of those you go to school with, like yeah. I don't have here. You know, all my high school up until or birth till junior in high school was not in Topeka, so I don't have homeboys I grew up with in high school who are living here now and they're friends. Yeah. So it's not, it's a little bit different than, um, than those who do have high school memories because you can always call somebody and say, hey, you want to go and do this, want to go and do that? Yeah, okay. So you moved here your 12th grade year then? No, no. Okay. Um, 12th grade, I, I did get a, a scholarship to go play football Benedict. Benedict. And what then, brought you to Topeka? The dark ages. You know, you just leave it at that. 
but it's one of the reasons why I am very much into criminal justice reform. Okay. Uh, uh, juvenile delinquency prevention programming and uh, that realm uh, because we're learning things even now like the Innocence Project. Yeah. Using DNA to get people who were found guilty by a jury, but they weren't there. They were innocent. Yes. Uh, that, that the tactics people use, detective use to elicit information, if they just run up on three young brothers right now and divide and conquer, they'll get one of them to say, I was guilty. You know, it's like, you was out, it wasn't even that old. Even well, though he wasn't there. Yes. You know? Yes. But sometimes it's not for incarceration, it's to catch a case, you know. Over a period of time, and I'm not trying to say a conspiracy or nothing, but over a period of time, most people never did any time with felonies. No. But each time that they took one off with a felony, it was someone down the future that would not be able to hold a gun to own a firearm. Yeah. So as your country becomes dangerous, you are being, because of a uh, criminal injustice system, you are being crippled years down the road on not being able to sometimes protect yourself or your family. You know, and when you don't have access to uh, good legal representation, and that's why uh, it was, I'm sure that that was why I took on when I got here. I went to Washburn and graduated from the legal assistance program that there's two things that I realize is that we black people, we do not understand law and public policy. Those are the things that will set you free or strangle you. Okay. Uh, we don't teach it. And by the time we need it, we have to go find somebody else uh, to do it for us. Maybe you'll have the money for them to get started, maybe you won't. You don't know how to do legal research. In the United States in law, there's case law and precedent. Probably what you're experiencing has happened before. Yes. Uh, if not, you know, you'll be the first instance of it coming forward. But uh, I saw, I see corporations, not-for-profit corporations, in advocacy have an ability of really making change. I believe, and I'm saying that through our organization, I practice what I preach, law and public policy, and that is why some opportunities are now available and doors are open. Now, just think if you had 30,000 people who knew how to apply those two parts. You know, if, you, if you don't know the rules of the game, you can't expect to win. Yes. And law and public policy, U.S. law and public policy is the rules to the game of winning in America. How can you expect to win if you don't understand them? Yes. Very true. And so uh, football, military, it's something that can hone a discipline. When you don't get the pro contract or the scholarship to go to K-State to do kickoff returns, you know, start, uh, then you have to have something to uh, fall back on. And that takes discipline. A lack of discipline I've seen in sort of modern time is that young folk, brothers, are so focused on wanting to be a pro athlete 
that they're not being instilled with the discipline to develop that plan B. Yes. And if you don't, then you'll be wandering in your community for another 30 or 40 years, never with the type of job that can help you live the type of good life that you're going to see people with on TV. Yes, I'm a I'm a I'm a an advocate for Plan B. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about, and a lot of celebrities talk about the way they made it. There was never a Plan B. You know, and um, I'm not a I'm not an advocate for that. I believe there has to be a Plan B. I actually believe that in the sports world and even in the entertainment world. That should be your plan B. Yeah. Your plan A should be whatever else you want to do, but that is a fallback to it because you, you take the numbers and you take the uh, percentages of people to go from college to the pros or, you know, football is a certain percentage, and then you go to basketball, which is an even less percentage. You know, I mean – that as your plan a to me is not that's just my opinion but it's not what i wanted my kids to do you know if they were good enough yeah that's that's your plan b what is your plan a you know well you know the every country has its culture uh, and its law and public policy Uh, as a student in the legal assistant uh, and even political science you have to learn Uh, the difference between the U.S. government and other governments, we don't understand about uh, there's international law and there's U.S. law. There are areas where they intersect. There is uh, U.S. public policy, and there are other countries who are sovereign nations who have their own public policy in the way of doing things. And when we are indoctrinated just in our own U.S., then that's what we grow up and you can get to that point to where you think that the whole world is like that, but it's not. No. I think that uh, 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 it should have been to us when I was invited and traveled to Africa in 1997. It was like me traveling from the counter at maybe library where when I first got my job up to finding the black section of books in the library. Enlightenment. Yes, I went to Africa, touched down and like bam, I ain't been since I ain't been right ever since. Yeah. You know, I that was building off of the books that I read. Yeah. I didn't know nothing about no Nelson Mandela. Yes. And and now you're sitting in a room just like me and you with maybe two other people and I'm speaking with them in his guest house in Pretoria from considering the dark ages that got me to Topeka. Yeah. That exposed me to maybe library. That exposed me to them books. And so uh, if I felt that way, you know, I, I'm like, we should have every year a fundraiser to send those young black students who are willing to run for office at the BSUs at Washburn in their high schools, and we should charter trip and we broker where they can meet their peers over in Africa. You know, we have to be a part of a larger black leadership development scheme other than just USBSUs to try to help you graduate high school, get a degree so you can work at a Fortune 500 company that has a diversity and inclusion problem. Yes. 
Okay. You keep mentioning uh, BSUs, and and just to let our listeners know, uh, there's black student unions. And I'll ask you this. What are they necessary on colleges? And, and I say that because a lot of people, not a lot of people, people say that we as blacks uh, tend to separate ourselves when we say there's a black student union or even with me starting there's a black mentors podcast why is there a race involved and why is there this involved and why is it always has to be a first black president or a first black something you know uh, what would be your interpretation or what would be your explanation to them? Well, some things, uh, ignorance will never be, will never accept an interpretation. And just by default, when you are in the super minority, meaning that if there's 50,000 students at K-State, there could be 2,000 black students you know, there. That's a super minority status. Yeah. Now, when you have that, and I took this on at Washburn. Okay. Back, the organization, the student organization, you know, took them on and made them change. But uh, normally we come to brothers, men, black guys normally come to predominantly white institutions because of a sports scholarship athletics yep. not academics yes and if you go five blocks away from the university there's probably fourth generation black folk who never went to the college struggling in their neighborhood trying to get a job at a nice job at a good year or something of that nature there yeah uh, or trying to start a little a little business nine out of ten cutting hair you know maybe selling some shoes not yeah. You know, clothing line, yeah. the, 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 the all-you-can-eat buffet restaurant, those type of larger businesses that you can grow upscale. So when I was a student at, at, at K-State, right before I came here, started a group called Brothers for Progress, BFP, and it was sort of like uh, at K-State, again, a predominantly white institution, even though it has black students there, it's when you look at the r real numbers, it's a super minority of number. These are people coming, they're not, they weren't born and raised in Manhattan, they don't know anybody. Uh, they are there for sports, sometimes they need a ride or a shoulder to cry on or referral for a tutor or something. That Brothers for Progress was a support group to those athletes who were coming to K-State. Whether they would have eventually gone pro or whatever, it wasn't there because even Manhattan within itself, a bigger microcosm of K-State, it had a super minority. Black folks is a super minority in Manhattan, Kansas. It's not like they're 12% or something. It's a very small percentage. Normally, so the type of programming that, that a majority of white students who are indoctrinated uh, in their neighborhoods, which may be all white, rural, they don't see our issues or uh, uh, issues whereas on their universities you'll see a lot of fraternities, sorority houses, nice big places with pillars and yeah. things. 
those they have been on those properties for for decades that's a part of the indoctrination you have a place to come for your support group we don't see a lot of our fraternities black fraternity sororities on these predominantly white institutions we really even see organizations in the community that are catering to black students who are coming to a student uh, a university they're not from there so uh, if I was going to an all, well, I couldn't go probably to an all-girls college, but even if we fast forward today of what we're talking about, inclusion and diversity, it's no different than you're saying that you need a BSU inside of Santa Fe. Because of all these white employees, something is going wrong, and some people are being felt left out. You know, it's not up to... There isn't, there was, there was never a class, I don't think, from kindergarten to graduating high school that taught someone that I don't want you to touch my hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, some people think, some people, as we're coming to brain science with implicit bias, uh, subconsciously think that, well, I got a black friend, I'm okay. Yes not realizing that they will, that black person that they don't know, they will say something or act some way that makes them, puts them in a way of, of, of superiority. Yeah. Thinking that they are superior to someone. Yeah. And like John Henry Clark, I think it was him, you know, they'll sit up here and want to debate with you on something that you have full applied knowledge on. You know, so what, he's like, I only debate with my equals, all others I teach. Yeah. Eventually, you just find some people that are just unteachable. And so those who, uh, whether they call it BSU, BSA, Brothers for Progress, African-American, whatever, the principle and the necessity is still the same. You don't need a BSU. You just have a student uh, a, a senate and association at historically black colleges and universities. You need BSUs and BSAs as predominantly white institutions. And... It's unfortunate because uh, if students think that they need to form an internal group, it means that the external black groups in that city have not done the things to help bridge that gap. Yes, of what they need. They come here needing jobs. You know, they yeah. get student loan checks and buy stuff. If you are not letting them know where you're at, who you are, I did my legal. Uh, your internship mm -hmm. at the state legal division of SRS of, of it was SRS at the time. Yes, a lot of us, a lot of others are doing internships in these other non-black companies and corporations. And not only did I not get paid, I had to pay for the class. It was a three credit hour. You had to pay per credit hour. Well, you know, we should have some black businesses, corporations of magnitude, that they will come and do the very same thing. By now, we should already have that after 60 years, 30 years of a lot of people getting master's degrees and PhDs. We don't own any tall building in Topeka or Lawrence or Wichita. Not an, a LeBron or an Oprah, but... Local. Yeah. Local in cities. Local black men and women in, in their local cities. Now, that becomes a vision for the young people. Yes. Yeah. 
of something higher and to strive for. And so then when you have like the building on the corner, the DCF building, let's say that that was a black owned company. How many interns in business and political science and marketing black students from Washburn or even KU could be in there? That you, you take a, a field trip of, 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 of elementary schools, black and white, you know, to walk through there and it's like, wow, this is what they did. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, 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 and here, you know, the BSUs should be a pool of where your, your companies are working with the BSUs to offer them opportunity of internships and things of that nature there because they're probably going to leave here. When they get there, when they graduate, they came here for their education, not in the intent of staying, but they're going to leave. But make that experience while they're there empowering so that they may go back home to Baltimore and start their own business after they saw what was going on here. Yeah. While well, interning and stuff. Yes. Oh. Uh, yeah, you, you bring up that uh, where you bring in, you know, kids, uh, minority kids, black kids, Hispanic kids, however you want to look at it. Uh, the fact that if they went into a local black company and they seen other people that look like them, walk like them, talk like them, possibly was from the same neighborhood as them, the hope that they feel that they could become that person is what a lot of people don't understand. Now, there's a big, big debate on what Barack Obama did for the U.S., but what a lot of people don't understand is the hope that he gave that young black male and the black kids, period. Just that hope of going, man, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not the U.S. ever elects another black person, period, then that's another story. But when I went to Virginia a couple years ago, I was probably just as impressed at watching the TV and watching the commercials of all the black people in positive positions in the commercials than you were when you first stepped in Washburn and went to the <laughs> and found the public the black section of the, of the library I mean it was just that impressive I was sitting there I was telling my wife when we were down there and we were down there visiting our grandson just all the black people in a positive part of a commercial. And it wasn't just that you might see him off in the distance or her off in the distance. It was like they were the commercial, you know? And then you've seen so many black, you know, Republic, I mean, not Republicans, uh, representatives, you know, that had positions, you know, and that, you know, that owned stuff and, and presidents and, you know, CEOs down there that it was so impressive. And I grew up in the Midwest and, you know, we travel with the military. But, man, I'm 48 years old at the time and I'm like, this is what the Midwest could look, could look like and, and what are we missing? You know? So, uh... Well, I, you know, uh, whether... It's Brother Barack or anyone else. And the same that, that Michelle, his wife, 
played a part of raising uh, a standard bar and expectation as well. Uh, but when we understand law and public policy, IBSA Inc. is a corporation, a separate legal entity that can do things on its own. The person who votes for what Topeka gets in Washington, D.C. was not voted into, always voted into office by us. They just happened to be, they won Utah and they have to vote on uh, a bill sending monies to the states in a block grant or whatever. They don't know the statistics and, and longevity of disparity or whatever in Topeka. They have to go by what the uh, Kansas state representation says. And when you look at the, uh, uh, the ethnicity of that Kansas state representation that represents us in Washington, D.C., it doesn't look like us. It doesn't reflect us. Uh, so it doesn't, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter who the president is, but the power is local. Yes. What, hap what you saw there was probably a lot of stuff that happened on a local basis that became an impetus of how they got to that point. And there's easy to find a lot of negative news of what somebody got shot somewhere or some something, you know, and not a lot of positive. If you look at their traditional newspaper uh, where a lot of people read it, whether online now or in print, if the only image of black men is crime and sports yes. on a consistent basis, that continues that indoctrination. Indoctrination, yeah, exactly. Uh, now, if you don't accept that you have been conditional indoctrinated, it's like you, you're not on your way to therapy and getting, getting the, the help that you need. Yeah, exactly. And so sometimes you need organizations to be that therapy to put that truth out there on both sides yeah. because we got some issues that we are not doing that we should be responsible for. Yeah. And they have, uh, and they could be a broad term of not black, and I'm not just talking whites, yeah. that the not understanding, you know, the depth of what we see, know, and experience and try to just sort of brush it off, you know, because you want to be kind. Sometimes being kind is not the answer. Yeah. When an advocate who's going to a podium trying to eliminate a bad policy that they see have not just harmed one person, but it has been the staple of what's harmed a whole neighborhood for 40 years, generations, and on its face it's bad. But nobody ever challenged it because you never had that representation sitting up on your local city council. Or even when you did, you didn't have someone who was willing to go and bring it up there because to make that type of change, to bring about fairty, means that somebody's going to have to lose something Yes, that they should have never had in the first place. Exactly. Good old boy and cronyism was how a lot of cities grew up and built up. Now that you're in a time of people saying we want inclusion and uh, uh, diversity, you're saying that we are willing to demand an equitable fair share of what our tax dollars and our profits, you know, uh, put into you. It's like if the companies that you have to pay, whether it's Sprint, AT&T, any 
Fortune 500 company that you're buying their products and they're not making wealthy contributions to the good program that you need, not the programs that other people devise for your neighborhood, then the conditioning is strong. People, people will tell that you're not, you haven't been broken from that condition until you start doing wiser things with your economics. Money talks. Yes, exactly. Money talks and uh, property talks. Like you said, the, uh, when you own property, and when you own, uh, like you were talking about buildings and stuff, and 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 locally, when you own your house and you and you have people that uh, show you how to purchase houses and show you how to get your credit right and stuff like that, that's when I think people start paying attention. Well, that's an expectation in America that comes with education and income and we have a lot of educated people with high incomes but that hasn't moved the collective needle exactly uh, when those individuals who can do those things for themselves I mean if you have 200 black businesses in a city and each of them have any individual needs but the city black parts of the city, the people that you want to try to help build a stronger future for, in, in, in a nutshell, there needs to be the projects that all of those 200 black businesses be a part of, of growing for the collective other than collective. just for the individual. Exactly. And I'll use some of these commercial buildings, you know, as an example. Many times, uh, others, they create investment groups and then they speculate on where, I mean, I saw in the article the other day where wolves are willing to sell yeah. their building, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's right across from the new plaza. Uh, somebody can, and this is downtown Topeka, Kansas, the state capital, two blocks from the capital. A lot of people come down to work every day. A lot of people come to the state every day. It's not like a Chanute you know, or Salina, some of this is the state capital. So there's an extra, uh, uh, extra id for owning a commercial property in downtown Topeka, Kansas. Yeah. Well, where's the investment group? I'm sure that 13 of us can come up with $2 million, yeah. you know, and, and, and not, it wouldn't even be that much because you just come up no, with a certain amount. No. 20% down and then basically go for the loan. We had enough people when you consider how much we spend on discretionary spending. Yes. Whether that is diapers or candles or swishers or beer or nicotine, uh, there's at least probably 5,000 uh, black Topekans who spend $50 a month on those discretionary spendings, not giving it a second thought. That was well more than enough money uh, 16 years ago to put together in a collective group so that you wouldn't be in a position to purchase a White Lakes. By now, it should be rehabbed, up and going, with all types of activities going on in there. Uh, instead of deteriorated. A lot of people around there have already retired. They have nice cars, nice jobs. Kids have 
gone on, got master's degrees and PhDs, and there was no fun. Whereas, okay, I want to send twenty dollars out of each of my paycheck. I'm living in New York, doing well, but I want twenty dollars of each of my paycheck to go back here because that. White Lake Small is now creating jobs and internships, and there's a lot of positive things going on in there. If, 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 if you fund me to leave and there's nothing for me to send money back to, I'm going to just stay gone. Exactly. Now, I can come back home and visit my mom or dad who's done well in business and, you know, define what's doing well, you know. So uh, uh, there's a lot of positive things going on. In cities across the nation, but we can uh, Topeka as well. That this is our downtown too. We should have uh, one of these properties down here. Not so much because it's my building, you know, but it's because it's uh, uh, it's part of the bigger picture. picture. Yep. You know, no no president is going to be able to do this. This is not even a governor's call. Yeah, this is our local level. Uh, local level collaboration. If we do ourselves. it today, the seven-year-olds who are walking in the projects in low-income areas that we deplore, you know, they're going to grow up have not just hope but opportunity. Yep. Got to come together on that collective. All right. What are the What are some of the challenges? while trying to make a difference for minorities in the city of Topeka, have you had? I know you had quite a few, but what, what, what would be what would be your top two? Well minorities is a, is a term broad, yeah. Uh, because If you if you are make if you work to make a difference uh, for humanity, whether it's Topeka or not, you know I'm not I'm not doing anything to try to fix Topeka. You know, uh, model programs are trying to devise to fix a problem. You know, and when you got the ju- when you get the juice to do that, then you can uh, s- send it to St. Louis because they got the same problems. You know, Atlanta got the same problems. Wherever you find uh, and even places that have a majority of black politicians and a majority, black majority in the cities, most of those places still need minority set-aside, you know, contracts. Yeah. And so that's how deep this indoctrination has taken root. Um, so some of the biggest challenges to make a difference for minorities probably have come from minorities themselves. Just keeping it real. And the others is to challenges the implicit bias, stubborn, uh, is that some of the things that I've advocated for, advocacy means that I just didn't go in and say it one time and say, sure, let's own, bam, it's passed. Move, keep it moving. 
Like you have to keep coming back over and over and over again. People retire or they don't win re-election or they step down or whatever, and you have to keep coming over and over and over. And eventually you see a snapshot that people, certain people think alike. So you have to probably stop and study and figure out. Because the only thing that you can do to get them to change is you have to persuade them to change. And what I saw when I was, because I used to run the camera for the city council, right, when I first started IBSA, or even before then, uh, and I would watch, they pan it onto the people on at the podium, and a lot of people would come up speaking passionately, but nobody was bringing any data, facts, or stats. Okay. This is what these people listen to. I'm about bringing the data, stats, or facts. And compiling them, it also starts, I think, giving you the clear picture on what some of the solutions, programs, projects, services, and things should be. So it's not just being passionate, bringing the facts, but you also have an opportunity of bringing suggestions and recommendations. Because don't think that they're going to take the data, stats, and facts, go into a back room, and use it to put together something that's going to fix the problem that you were advocating for. So uh, the challenge has been convincing, and it's, it's not about unanimous. Local government is normally a majority. Uh, you don't have to get everybody to vote yes, but you got to get a majority to vote yes, and and that is being able to talk the language of what those who are most likely to oppose what you're trying to do to get them to understand. To, to see the picture. Yes. And you have to be wise enough to know how to do that. How to present it. Yeah. Uh, some of the things, policy, state, local, Local politics should not be about partisan, Democrats or Republican. State is going to be that way. Federal yeah. is going to be that way. Uh, but your local level, like you're saying, your city council, your you know local politician, councilman, county commission. That's, that's not partisan. Police department, sheriff department. That should just be, like you said. Just elected officials, yeah. city council and commissioners. Yeah. The others are employees, yeah. these are elected officials. The same as the state capitol, D.C. Um, so when the when they started talking about the uh, quarter cent sales tax for economic development and then I saw an opportunity and an opening and I utilized a white councilman to make the motion, another one seconded to get the ball to rolling to where the 10% that's appropriated now for uh, minority businesses can access, uh, that they could have, that that money would be available. I understand political science, that's how the process works. 
Okay. Motion. Second. Pass. That was back in 1999, 2000 or whatever. This is 2020. Every year, 10% of that $5 million has gone, been made available to do such things. What has been used for it, you know, we can talk about that in another story. But the fact that it got passed that night, 10% of the sales tax, the countywide sales tax, for the economic development, which has a definition, uh, for socially and economically disadvantaged individuals and businesses, which we are going to fall into, $500,000 a year would be made available, regardless of who the mayor is, who the president is, who the governor is, who mm -hmm. the county commissioner is, and now it's going to go till 2031. I was hoping that one, get the policy, because that's a policy that appropriates the money, that's the money. A lot of the money that we spend when we buy, we pay sales tax, it's not, we spend a lot more than, than 500,000 a year in sales tax, but this will get us somewhere. Yeah. But if we don't utilize that policy and that accessibility to money properly, then we'll look out 15 years later and we still don't own any more solid businesses than we did back when it was passed. Now. Uh, me was a test to be able to go in and get a majority of people who would normally not vote for something to get them to vote yes for that money. And that goes with other, uh, uh, now that those council members are gone, there are new council members on the JDO that have to make some type of a vote and a decision on future spending of that money and county commissioners. The governor, the president of the United States will never have anything to do with that. So uh, uh, we're getting close to, uh, I think that no one policy that I've advocated for is a cure-all, but if there's 10 policies that I see that if we could get these 10 in place, time in itself will get it sinking like a nice engine that comes in first on race day. There is the funding of low-income youth employment programs, 10% from the sales tax for business. We have, uh, it took longer to advocate for the creation of trade skill centers in low-income neighborhoods, but Washburn Tech East is that is there. And there's some other things that been taking on as a public policy, having to outlive or outlast longer than city managers, mayors, city council members. And if I can just get each, under each mayor's administration, just one thing done, because there will always have been a majority of non-black elected officials that the job of getting the policies passed, you have to definitely do some persuasive speaking because these are folks who have never, who can't fathom the death of the black experience. And so uh, uh, it's not more about passion. I mean, it's probably something that people want to support and pass, but as uh, uh, even the very beginning of the sales tax, 
Some say, well, it, we think that it might be unconstitutional if it focuses on giving people, if it focuses on race. But that wasn't true. But throwing it out there put a dark cloud over the decision. But hey, he's gone. Yeah. The 10% is still here. Good, strong public policy so that that uh, 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 the 10% of the sales tax as it exists, the interlocal agreement, the agreement between the city and the county goes till I think like 2031. If I was to disappear tomorrow, that money is still going to be flowing like clockwork. So now these other minorities really need to be getting into the corner, the for-profit business owners, because that's who the money is for, the people who have visions, other than just getting in the corner of your house saying, how can I vision going down and getting me a, a, a piece of equipment? That they should be sitting down. How can we go and leverage an idea to where we can get uh, something of substance just like Walmart, Beanbow Bakery, Goodyear, all these other big corporations have came to the trough and got a million and some dollars without having to give, make any goals of giving us jobs or contracts or doing business with us, with our tax dollars. And so that's a very strong argument that a community can make if they're really talking about inclusion, uh, equity. That's the strongest argument is holding people who got your tax dollars accountable to doing business with you and hiring you so that if we got motivated young brothers who go to Washburn Techies, who get that CDL or get the NCCER credentials, that we have companies who are going to be working on public funded projects who are going to be hiring or do giving apprenticeships to these brothers. They've gone, they've done what they needed to do. And so I'm hoping that the thing that I'm trying to advocate on while I'm in Topeka, I have no, I have no, there's nothing holding me to Topeka. But while I'm here as a mission, if I can get these things done on this paperwork, these policies in place, over time when they start sinking, it's going to reduce poverty, increase, decrease the number of black male unemployment, black women unemployment, low income people unemployment. I got things that that are on an international trade level that if they can't understand these fundamentals, anything else I talk about will just blow them away. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. All right. What, uh, who in your life would you like to forgive and for what? Huh. Uh, this is gonna sound probably strange. I, I mean, I'm. It's nothing never strange. I mean, some people. That'd be a hard question for me to ask too. I mean, answer too. Uh. Uh. Even if you try to forgive some people. You know, I would, I would, I would forgive this, uh, I mean, I'm single, been single for, gosh, 1998, I focus on my mission, what I'm doing, but this was, uh, there was a, a, a lady who said, who said, 
I would forgive the lady who told me I didn't have a pot to piss in or wanted to throw it out of. And the reason is because her words really opened up something that I needed to really start probably do for myself. You need to hear it. Yeah. You know, you need to, and, and most of the time that. But there would have been a way to have said it. So therefore, yeah. I forgive the tone and the measure, you know, of it. But for the reasons is that I need to hear it for myself and not just because I was never lazy or anything. It made me realize that that not everybody is down for your camp. Yeah. And this is the camp that I've been chosen. And I could have gotten all Google-eyed and, and fell in love <laughs> in trap, you know, with someone who would have never realized that, <coughs> excuse me, the, I'd heard where, you know, the biggest problem that, that Betty Shabazz and Coretta, you know, they had to worry about, you know, if their husbands were going to make it home alive. They knew what they were doing out in the streets. Yeah. You know, uh, this is what I do. And if a person is like synonymous to the person who was telling me that I need to get a real job, you know, which, you know, and that's why you don't have a pot to piss in or when to throw it out of, but... I'm not doing. I'm not in a. I'm not doing excellent right now, but the piece that I've got of myself and the things that I've done and accomplished, doing things the way I want to do them, you know, uh, has me not to rub anything on anyone in anyone's face, you know. But uh, I'm a lot better off in life today than I was when I first came to Topeka. Yes. All right. And you say you're not, um, what did you just say? You're not doing well. That, I mean, that's, that's what you think as far as, it almost brings me to the fact that what what people how people measure success and i'm not a fan of that either i'm not a fan of you know property as success or big house or money in the bank or you know uh and one of the one of the missions of, of black mentors is, is is not based on money Success is based on if you're taking care of the business in which you want to be in. Taking care of the people around you, not putting people down because you feel that they up under you. And your obligation, not your willingness, your obligation to give back. Because I feel that we all have an obligation to give back. Not a will to give back, but an obligation to mm -hmm. give back. Mm -hmm. Because none of us have made it on our own, no mm -hmm. matter where we're at mm -hmm. in life. You know, I don't care if you came from a poor family or you came from a rich family. Mm -hmm. No one, no race has ever made it. That person has made it on their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've always had somebody at least help you. And whether or not you consider that help, good, bad, or, or whatever, uh, just like you said, the lady mentioned that to you. At that moment, you needed to hear it. You didn't want to hear it, 
but you needed to hear it and, and that sparked something in you to you know that you knew that for her to say that you were on the right mission and and you were looking at life totally different probably at that aspect of whether or not you how you were measuring success or how society was measuring success for you well you know uh that she was even in my airspace of the moment at that time yeah was uh, a time whereas uh, re- being having a relationship was important and I believe that having a relationship is very important uh, a relationship a healthy relationship. a healthy relationship that leads to a strong marriage you know um, and I probably given I my Adopted parents uh, were all, were married till death did them by my mom when she passed away. Okay. Uh, and part of the Catholic faith, you know, divorce is really just not something you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but marriage is something that you do. And I'm no different than anyone else. I would have, if I would have had my way, I would have been married. I would have been uh, celebrating my 20th or 30th wedding anniversary or something. Yeah. So being single is has been a part of choice. But uh, I think that that comment there is sort of what sort of kicked it kicked it off. A good partner would have definitely, if I have accomplished things, if people think I've accomplished things to date. A good partner would have had me really accomplish, you know, something. I just think that that is a natural part of of living is being with someone who you can really share their life, uh, and y'all share your lives together—the good and the bad, the successes and the failures. Hold uh, that right there for you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Um, if your life was a motion picture, what would the title be and who would play the lead role? What would the title be? Who would play the lead role? Uh, I don't know. I know who would play the lead role was probably, hopefully, would who would play or who should play. However you want to word it. Yeah. Who would you prefer to play the lead role? There's some... Since 91 up until the present, and we did some events back in the day in 91, the Midwest Rap Contest, talent shows, using Washburn's property, teaching other student organizations, how do we use these institutions' property because this is our tax dollars. You know, so we used White Concert Hall and Whiting Fieldhouse and had big shows, you know, as fundraisers and walked away with several thousand dollars instead of having a cookie a cookie sale for a whole week and making 200. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I found one of our first agreements that we had had with the state was like 1993. And that's when we first moved into the building, first got incorporated, moved in the building. So once moved from the National Black Student Alliance to the International Black Student Alliance, as a corporation, we moved into our building, quickly got contracts with the state, quickly moved forward. This is a social enterprise type of business. 
to, in my mind. Uh, so between 93 and now, there's a lot of young people that have come through our doors. Some of them are speaking three languages, PhDs, master's degrees. Whoever would play the role, would, would lead, to play the lead role, I would think would be someone who came through the organization over some period of time. They okay. knew Lizzo. You know, they heard these conversations before. Uh, and uh, I've done a lot of things in life from travel and military and Korea and Japan and Africa. But if uh, the motion picture was about me and Topeka, you know, like I said, when I came here, I knew no one. No one knew me. Uh, you know, I came, I conquered, I slayed. You know, public policy, you know, was just something that had to be dealt with. I don't know what the title would be, but I definitely, uh, he came and he conquered. You know, came, overcame, and conquered. I don't know how you're doing. And it would be some, one of these young people here who left, I have no problem. They talk about retaining talent. If talent is leaving, apparently you don't have something to retain. It's the young brothers and sisters who get lost and get stuck here with no skills, no future, no direction. I would rather that uh, prepare a young person who graduates and leaves to Topeka so that they can break that and then go find themselves and then come, come back. back. Uh, if they come back and don't stay, it means that you didn't do things locally to prepare something for them to want to come back. But if... Uh, uh, our organization should not be preparing them to stay, but no matter where they go, they're going to be able to lead. Like, hey, we see on your application that you're from Topeka, y'all, and you worked at IBSA. They only push out the best. You know, you're hired. You know, yeah. uh, or or you go and you get your master's degree, your PhD, and then you come back to take your family business to another level to become an executive manager with one of these companies here, or to start your own successful company organization uh, from the Topeka perspective. So I have young people that if they would have, as I said, that when they first started the sales tax, a young person would have been able to be leaving middle school, complete high school, get their four-year bachelor's degree and their master's degree and probably their PhD and then be able to come here back and that 10% monies would still be available. They would have all the credentials showing that they got, and now this money is available for you to come to help you start your company just like they're giving million dollars to these other companies that are coming, coming in. in. Or you can come and take that what that fledgling family business using new technology and new way of doing things and take it to a whole new diff a whole new level. Expanding it. You know? So uh the the Topeka is, 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 is my movie, you know. I've lived here longer at one time than I've ever lived anywhere else. I've never lived anywhere else for cl close to 30 years, 28 years. Okay. You know. All right. Um, where can our listeners connect with you online? Well, I'm everywhere. Uh, of course, got a Facebook page, LinkedIn. Can you name them? Uh, Facebook? Yep. Or uh, any any of them it's online? On, we're on, we're on yeah. Facebook. Okay. Got a Twitter account. 
and I can't even say I remember what the, the handles are. But if you Google me, I'm all over. You'll probably find some stuff that'll either scare you, you know, or enlighten you yeah. if you Google me. All right. <laughs> all right. What about uh? Now you have some online. You have a uh, a online business account that we didn't talk about that you know people could register their business and and tell us what uh like the SEO. What what does that mean when they link with your business? so that they could get more people to come to your, to their business, you know, online directory type. Yeah, well, not just uh, from the political science and the legal assistant portion, really got off into computers and understanding technology. This is back in 91, 92, uh, and, and the Internet was just coming to fruition as far as mainstream. We have always had the foundation of the organization, Streets University, the Income Opportunity for Youth. The idea was always to have young people, young black youth, going out interviewing black businesses and businesses in general so that they can learn those, uh, those type of etiquette, business etiquette skills, being on time, scheduling, handshakes. That has always been something of important to me and that our organization's program would have something that would emphasize those few things right there that so it doesn't matter what city you find yourself in or who you bump into the race of that person if you have a firm handshake and good eye contact and can hold a conversation you're going to leave an impression that's going to help you get further in life um so we didn't have the type of technology needed for real search engine optimization back in 93. IBSA, we had our website, probably 93, 94. I saw other people had one. I had an old brother who was ex-retired Navy, Willie Cole, who's uh, sort of, was a programmer. Had him build the website. Uh, and the directory. I was learning code, HTML. Uh, there were no smartphones or anything of that nature there. But even us have getting a website for IBSA that early and doing a directory that early, that really puts us in the veteran algorithms of search. Now that search technology with uh, GPS, geolocating, product services, Google search, video, social media, uh, things of that nature there, that just the the principle of what we want to do and the reason we want to have a business directory has not changed. How we want to get the businesses in our directory has not changed. The, uh, the reach of being in business directories has changed because most, I think I just shared the report, 97% of most Americans go online for to search for a product to search for a product or service by name and location. That's what we do now. Uh, beyond hard coding and HTML, technology has gotten us to drag and drop editors and WordPress is probably the leading platform in the nation or in the world. So this is what we use to build our website, websites for other businesses, where we teach young people, young people getting them 
um, exposed to tech careers and digital tech skills by not just by creating uh, or adding the businesses to the directory. It is more for them to be learning a particular skill that has a future and paying them to do such more than, well, we're going to be marketing your business. Uh, with social media, really Facebook, and then there's Twitter and others, it even extends even more as young people were born with this technology, and we were not in 78 and stuff like that, that uh, you can see a lot of companies that they have their own Facebook page, they are posting, they are marketing, they have a large following. And so these are things that, that I understand, whereas most Small businesses are busy in their shops doing their craft. They're busy cutting hair, selling clothes, mopping floors, prepping food, or what have you. And we can do this at an affordable rate because young people have a talent that they can do things that, gosh, some 56-year-olds cannot do when it comes to understanding social media marketing, which added on to normally uh, SEO, search engine optimization, was the coding that you did into the website. Now you extend that by cross-posting information with keywords on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, uh, Twitter. It is about YouTube videos so that we should be at the ground floor of getting our young people exposed to web development, video production and editing, social media marketing for our businesses so that whether it's for their business enterprise or a side hustle, you know, uh, they're, they're going to be in position that if they learn these skills now, and it's, it's, it's a pure example. I worked with some youngsters back in the day when we were really just coding. They started a little company, Fifth Dimension Computer Services. They graduated and left here, and then when they went to uh, college outside of Topeka, like, oh, they're building websites for little local groups. But they learned, they got incited and learned the, the dilly deal ins of and out here. ins and out yeah. in the basement, gritty basement of IBSA over when I, uh, at our old office. So uh, a lot of other young people, I'm seeing that they are doing things in tech, and they, they give props to me in the organization. That, Man, I wouldn't be doing your stuff if it wasn't for you. And this is like young people who came through the doors 26 years ago. Yeah. Things that they do here should stick and stay. So you see a lot of computers around. We didn't have wireless as it is, Chromebooks as they are. They can log in and do. We're paying 13 and 14 year olds good money, averaging no less than $25 an hour to add businesses into our directory. And so uh, when we're talking about black businesses, we do have the Ujama Club Black Online Black Business Directory, and we want to move it to an app, not to compete with other black directories out there. Ours is, again, it is a training tool for the young people that we're working with. The technology is going to work whether we like it or not. As long as you have your phone and you press there and uh, we are doing using basic technology of WordPress, it's going to tell you who the closest black businesses are. You can use a search and find any, any individual black business. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're ready to move our directories to an app phase. They'll be the, the online website, but they'll also be the app. 
so that you can download it. So we are, you are traveling from here to Atlanta to Wisconsin or what have you. We got black businesses all over the United States. Where are they? This will help us play a role in helping in what the organization was founded upon in the very beginning, you know, to aid and assist in the promotion of black-owned businesses. So when people come here, even when the, uh, the uh, African-American writers or someone's coming to town. Travelers, travelers uh, Convention? Yes, yes. So we were fortunate enough, and we're trying to update it now, that uh, uh, through working with Sister Glenda Washington there, uh, we have been compiling black businesses for our online directory and that print directory. And I think that they had requested a copy because they were looking to know where the black businesses are. When I went to Charlotte, there was a brother at the counter at the hotel. Like, hey, are there any black restaurants, you know, downtown? He was like, well, I think there's one right down the street. And it was. Within two days, I'm there. I signed him up to be in the directory. Uh, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. So it goes to show that we have black businesses. Actually, there was two black businesses I signed up when I was there. $90 each they paid. It, was as, it wasn't even a hard sale. They saw the importance and maybe just want to reward me for being a salesman. Yeah. Uh, but I envision young people in Charlotte going and finding those businesses just like you interviewed young Daniel. There's yeah. a lot of young brothers out there like that. I believe that there's a lot of business owners like you who will say yes. But it's not giving him any money. He had to perform, be on time, handshake, eye contact, answering questions. Now, when he interviews 45 businesses like business owners like you, he's going to be ready to sit in one of these boardrooms yes. and present. Yes. But if he doesn't do any more and just go through the path that the school has thrown all of our kids through, he's not going to be able to. No. So that's why I just it. This is. Our unique program and and it can be uh, so that when he leaves here if he was to leave here and go somewhere else to college and he starts interacting with people in that community he's like oh that's a well-groomed young man he knows a lot he carries himself well that's what we can do with young people here whether we want them to stay here or not we should be collectively working to groom young brothers for what we know they're going to have to uh, face. And so we have youth groups, you know, his group like Young Kings, the Topeka NHCP Youth Council. Uh, we need to do a good community asset map on which programs do we have so we can see what they are. And then we can see what elements that they are trying to impact. And if we need to beef some things up, then we do that. If we need to cut some things out, then we do that. And we live in a different world. It's not like the when our f folks wasn't really hanging and kicking it with you know with white folks, uh, because young brothers they grew up in a generation where they have a lot of white friends. You know when you're dealing with low income neighborhoods, you not just dealing with black communities. There are Hispanics and whites and, and others who are living in low income neighborhoods. So the necessity for stores and businesses who can hire and do things in the neighborhood. Uh, and teaching them about niche. If I was uh, a young female in our program, I try to say, you may want to call on female business owners because you already have something yeah, that you common. have in common mm -hmm. in one, 
most women are moving towards from the conversation of trying to be good mentors and role models to young girls, you know, who are sort of traveling the same path, you know, whether that's to get a college degree or to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. or what have you. So uh, over the years of 20-some years, I'm hoping that a part of my work in advocacy and effort has created a great opportunity for young people in techpreneurship that crosses across ethnic boundaries of small business owners. I have white business owners who have been just as faithful as supporting young people every year in the program as with black businesses. Uh, some. Hispanic businesses where Spanish is what they speak every day, uh, but they still value being in our directory. I don't. I believe that those people were always there. Teaching the young people to do the presentation is really about getting them to support uh, the young folks, and we're going to be expanding this opportunity again. If it was just in a program to help Topeka, that would be one thing. But the directory is a model program so that when we get it right here, there are just as many worthy go-getter young people in Detroit, uh, in Houston, in Nebraska, these little cities. There's already a base of small businesses who are willing to support them. The need for interviewing, learning those type of skills, handshake, eye contact, uh, is going to be necessary worldwide, universally. Uh, and the quicker that they learn some of these principles, I think that the better off they, that the better off they will be. That if the uh, the system still grooms the mind of young people for wage employment, our program just exposed them to the other principle of residual commissioned and leveraged income. Somewhere down the road, you can make the choice on which one you're going to choose, but not letting them know that they have choice, viable choices. That's where uh, we fail ourselves. And I'm not just talking about, oh, she sold, you know, $3,000 worth of Girl Scout cookies and got a 12-cent badge. You know, if you sign up a business, you know, in, 20, in, in 15 minutes, you're going to earn $25. But for you to sign them up, you're going you're to have to perform. Yes. Courtesy. You're going to have to sell them. You're going to have to, like you said, courtesy part of it, the yes. handshake, the yes. uh, eye contact. The, yes. You know. If you don't sell them, then you have to know how to adapt and adjust. Yeah. You know, you may say no because he came in and didn't realize he had some. He was chewing gum, mm-hmm. and so well, you know, get back with me in a couple of weeks. Then you get with us, and mm-hmm. then we check them. You know, mm-hmm. we won't just count them out. You know, give him a second chance. Now, if he comes back the next time, sagging is like, no, nah, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? But we, but that's we need to check each Learning other. Learning process. Yeah. And just give the young people a chance. It's not about the money to us. We're going to be contracting with state government. You know, that's another realm, whereas our organizations need to be service providers to state government where our people are mostly at risk. They are on welfare. They are in prisons. They are getting out of prisons. They're being kicked off of welfare. They have kids who are eligible for services. We need to know what programs and services government is paying for and become providers of that service, we are leaving billions, if not trillions, of dollars on the table that other people are making off of our demise. Yeah. More 
both going and coming. Mm-hmm. From the cradle to the grave. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, if you could put a billboard up on any corner in the city here in Topeka, where would you put it and what would it say? Uh, well, it would, when you're coming to Topeka, probably from the Kansas City area. That's where I probably would put it. I don't know why it could be one of the others coming into Topeka as you're just entering. And I, I would want it to be something positive, you know, uh, based off of, you know, it would probably have a, a collage of pictures, you know, of some of the young people, you know. When a person looks at our website, I try to keep a collage of the Facebook page, a collage of finding all the pictures, you know, of young people and adults that have come through, you know, and it's like, welcome to Top City, you know, Topeka, which we've changed the narrative, you know, and sort of show where unemployment was here okay. 17%, 21%, and now it's showing, bam, it's like 3.4 of black folks. Okay. You know. Right. We don't understand statistics very well. When they say that unemployment is 3.5, like, ooh, for everybody, no. The statistically significant disparities still exist. And we should not let people take us off focus by giving us the ag the, the 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 aggregate number, aggregate number, yeah. We need to micromanage this situation until we are out the until we're in the clear. But uh, something like that, there. I mean, you know, uh, IBSA. You know, we are we're changing narrative, and I, I, I'm certain. You know, there are policies that have been passed that I have fought for. I have lost friends and financial support but those policies sit on the books right now and they're good and like you said they weren't meant for you they were meant for others others right yeah. right and right now even still Lazone was a student at washburn Lazone, president ceo of a u.s corporation is a different story <laughs> you know that organization that corporation can do things that Lazone just regular old taxpayers can't do. Uh, and that's why I'm using this as a corporate vehicle to help myself, give me something to do. But this is a corporate vehicle that can help our young people, adults, businesses, and other organizations. I want to focus more over the next decade on nonprofit organization development. There's a lot of resources available for for-profit businesses already, thanks to good, strong policies we have fought for and put on the books. Y'all got access to $500,000 a year. But our nonprofits, uh, organization development that we have conditioned to, well, just starting a nonprofit, create a program and ask for contributions and grants. It's like a social enterprise nonprofit is going to, is going to perfect something so they can go and get a contract from government or prime organizations or for-profit companies to do specific things. It's not a giveaway. We are, you are paying us for a job that we do. State government, the welfare agency, we have disparity numbers of black women in the system, but we have no minority contractors really working 
working with them or getting paid to help them pave the way. Uh, uh, state government in Kansas is changing with new agencies getting ready to pop up, moving juvenile services from one agency to the other. Contracts are moving and all this stuff is moving. And I'm in the back rooms where these conversations are going. I don't see a lot of brothers and sisters in here or white folks who talk like they care. You know, these are with, you know, some of the top state agencies and some legislators. Uh, but being in the room sometimes in itself changes the dynamic of the conversation. That if they know that, well, you know, you just can't run the okey-doke by the zone. You got to keep it real. Then they don't even try to run the okey-doke. They just keep it real. And when they do, somebody's going to look at me as like, because they just expect me to say something. Yeah. And they're right. But it is not saying something to hurt anyone. It makes it means that we have somebody in the room at that moment when a clear perspective was needed we actually happen to have someone there not someone's trying to sell out so they can look good for themselves and they can get the money and they can get the contracts so uh, uh, it's also uh, uh, so that we have somebody in the room talking who's listening who can grab this information about where's the future contracts who's the future populations uh, what is it that they're looking for we have people in the room. We can share this because uh, if the state of Kansas under the government reorganization is going to create the Department of Human Services and they're going to be a new agency contracting to pay for XX services, juvenile services, crossover youth, low-income cash assistance, however it's going to pan out, you know, we need to know right now. And that's why I'm at the table uh, in the room. I would love to, at some point in time, 30 years from now, I'll be dead and gone. Someone else has to be at, is going to be at the helm of this organization. We should have contracts secured and doing very well with the juvenile, the agency that deals with juvenile services, cash assistance, non-custodial fathers motivated to go back to work, and court services. If we just, and of course business, if we just only do that as an organization in Topeka, we're going to fare well. All right. We're not going to, we are not going to change the world. Yeah. But we're going to do some amazing things in that small part of it that we occupy. That we should be willing to do that. Yes. And I would love help on and popping with people up in here. But mm -hmm. military in other disciplines, you know, I would rather have you as a, 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 a decorated sniper go in and take out a target than have 5,000 boots running here all running in circles not knowing where they're going. Mm -hmm. Organizations should be building tactical thinkers and teams so that they can run in their, uh, uh, better their organizations uh, and better the bigger picture and that's trying to move not just uh, public policy and shape public policy but to shape how we organizations corporations with certain statuses above just John Q citizen how we operate together and work together in sync and we can do so many more things that's that's what I'm working to do um, uh, and I'm seeing 
for years, and even to this day, there's some brothers, brothers and sisters I know in other cities, other states, who are still complaining about the same old, same old. Uh, and we would have been complaining about the same old, same old here, but uh, not on my watch. This yeah. is where I live. This is where I pay taxes. This is where I breathe. I'm going to make a difference in this city right here where I live. I, can, I could have moved and do that anywhere, but this is where I'm at. And so I'm going to use my knowledge, education, apply it, and try to make change right here. And if I can do it here, I mean, changing the way that the majority see things and to have them vote and act in ways that is a betterment for us, if a person can can that and sell it, she'll probably make a bunch of money. But the mindset of addressing public policy in an effective way in cities across the nation is what's needed. Because some of the, I see that some of the problems, a couple of brothers that I know who are always on Facebook railing against what is going wrong at their local city government I actually see ways that it can be addressed. And the things that have happened here through our advocacy can be used as, uh, uh, as an example. Well, how did you address, you know, uh, low-income men not being able to get jobs and get the skills, you know, in such and such city, you know? Well, what they did in Topeka, Kansas, is that they did uh, new market tax credits, and they dedicated some sales tax funds in the opening up, uh, and then negotiated a, a, a partnership with their university and chamber of commerce and folks in, in local government, and they opened up uh, a, a trade skill center in their east side of Topeka. That is a model of what can be done in other cities. Yeah. Uh, when they like, well, how can we help? You know, support minority women and minority business. And you're sitting up here talking about a sales tax anyway. You know, you can always appropriate some of your sales tax. Some places don't have sales taxes, though. Uh, and the model is this 10%. You know, out of $5 million, uh, it means that the other folks are still, still going to get $4.5 million. But this 500000 is a square box where you can do unique and innovative things to address numbers, disparity numbers that speak for itself. Getting $500,000 a year and spending it all every year, but the poverty never changes, the contracting procurement numbers never change, nothing real positive isn't changing all that number, there's something wrong. But at least it shows that you can get a majority of your local elected officials most who are not black, to vote to dedicate some of their monies to helping your business. If we can, wow, you know, 15 years out, that's exactly what black folks did. They collectively used that money. They got a shopping mall, and it's on, like, the front cover of Black Enterprise magazine. It's on and popping that hard like that. You know, we could have gotten 500000 from them because they get it every year, yeah. and then had our own investment group and come up with 500000 and then, therefore, we got skin in the game, and we wouldn't have to be sitting up here waiting for somebody else to bring in some company for us. You know, that's why the downtown plaza, this downtown belongs to us, too. We need to dictate what downtown food truck, soul, 
music type of event that we are going to have and not let others define what they're going to bring to us. If they're going to bring the Heartland Stampede of country, you know, music out there mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of people, big economic development footprint, you know, we need to look at that there and say, see, this is how things can be done. You you could actually have a, a, a Midwest type of thing of the same magnitude and spend the same type of money bringing top liner artists here and having black folk from across the region that will yeah. come in for an event like this. And all kind of our vendors can set up. Where is the planning team that we can sit in here? And that's the one event that we do every year, bringing in 20,000 people. Then you can go down to this place and get some economic development funds to help you subsidize that because that is economic development, not just what they're going to bring to us, but we're creative people. We've had to be creative people yes, <laughs> to we, make something out of nothing. Yes, exactly. Forever. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, I'm going to close it out here. Um, is there anything else that you would like for us to know or that you think I missed? Well, as you can see, I talk. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just happy. I'm glad our paths crossed that you are doing this at this time. Uh, there's um, a lot of distraction going on on TV. You know, we're shaken, you know, by the deaths of athletes and entertainers. Uh, Everybody is important. Um, We have some challenges. Um, And I'm saying we as a people, me personally, you know, we're not spring chickens. Yeah. Uh, So I'm going to be doing, trying to do the best that I can and, and, uh, you know, it's, it really is a numbers game. When we realize the potential in our numbers and what we can do with those numbers, you know, uh, 15 million people at $2 a year can do a lot more of pick, fixing the big picture rapidly than 30 Oprahs and LeBronzes. That's just not their lane. Yes. Uh, and it's easy for people to sit back, non-black, and watch you as you implode on yourself because they are fear, uh, scared to tell you, like, dude, you're doing it wrong. You're going to implode on yourself. You know, I know what I'm doing. Get away. You need to be worried about your host. I ain't got time for all of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. Well, then you should have helped me win that. I tried to. You know. We cannot fall into this hate and intolerance amongst our own selves that other people are playing on a larger scale worldwide because then that gets us not communicating with each other. Yeah. And just because uh, we've had a black president uh, in other things doesn't mean that we are, we are out the woods. No, not, not at all. Uh, and uh, people can talk about criminal justice reform, juvenile justice reform, welfare reform, procurement, supplier diversity, whatever. All that is talk. There needs to be mandatory rubber hitting the road. This is a rubber hit the road institution right here. 
I was telling folks, it's not about starting an organization. It's about creating an institution, institutionalizing an institution. When you do that, when you're long gone 100 years from now, that institution is still there and strong doing what it's supposed to do. Yes. Now, it's easy to build an institution that can stay being weak. I mean, it's we have our, uh, 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 well, we are at a, a crossroad and a challenge of our own black organizations, whether those be the vanguards like the NACP and Urban League, or it be uh, organizations like IBSA or new ones that are coming up. The, uh, the way that we do things, and it's really, uh, there's some initiatives that through IBSA, a legal corporate vehicle, I may be the person seeing the things, but it's a legal corporate vehicle that doesn't slow me down on setting in motion some things that I believe is going to be good for the bigger picture. Things that are set in motion not for me today, but calculating how strong will they be when I'm gone. Uh, we have to, uh, the Kwanzaa Fund is something that people should be looking out for some of these events there's some events that we're going to plan and do downtown at this plaza that's going to bring opportunity for us here in Topeka and try to start grooming young people into event planning you know how to get vendors set up and security you know and sound and all that stuff this is a new moment of opportunity for us and we should not just be customers or participants we should be leaders and creators yeah. of what happens downtown here. Um, uh, because if it is considered a neutral spot, because people are still afraid to go to certain parts and stay there after dark, you know, this is a neutral spot to whereas uh, we can do some things. And there's some things that, uh, uh, like Streets University, there is real, well, there's going to be a real expansion. I'll be doing some training the trainer in other cities and states who want to get this program up and going. Now they're starting to understand the dynamics of what the program does. It's, we, act, we, we, we didn't create an industry or market. We just, there was always a market out there for online marketing. We just created a product to go and get a market share. Okay. And now we're going to grab that market share. There's always been online business directories, black online business directories, but none of them had linked young people getting businesses signed up and paying them. So when you do the math, there are 2 million black businesses registered by census in the United States. Businesses pay $120 a year to be in the directory. You can do that math. We pay young people at least 50% of that for the interview and adding the business to the directory. It's like $120 million or whatever. So we have an opportunity of paying out $120 million to young people for doing an hour's worth of work in a year. We got that. Yeah. Okay. We don't have to ask any other white businesses to do anything. Mm -hmm. We got this. That's what that yes We'll do. If you're in business, you'll find a way of writing it off as a tax. But, but it is also that sometimes the business says no. 
And that is a teachable moment that young people need to learn how to accept no. Yeah. And uh, yes. Mm -hmm. So that's what uh, is coming down the pike, whether I'm supported in Topeka or not. Other places are now starting to see the, 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 the value of the program model. Regardless of what we would call it, it is the program model that makes the difference. Yeah. Okay. So that if a young person learns how to speak with you, sell you into the directory, then they can also learn to sell uh, advertisements for uh, Sister Bonita Goose with the Community Voice newspaper. Uh, they can learn to sell uh, uh, Tracy Lynn, <laughs> you know, other things yeah. that we are doing. Yes. Okay. And so if it's a young sister, I need sisters who own businesses to say, I want to, I want to interview and sponsor one of the young sisters in the program. I need every brother who got a business to be sponsoring some young brother in the program. It's only $120 a year. Yeah. And there, no one is asked to sponsor more than one young person. In Topeka, there are over 7,700 small businesses in Topeka. So we have a, not just a base to work with, but we have some young go-getting white kids and Latino kids who have uh, markets of their own. That's where we have the Kansas Small Business Directory, which is focusing on the small women, other minority business groups. So that as we talk about shopping local, where are these women businesses at? how Google search and SEO will fall into play. If you look for uh, women-owned photographer in Topeka, mm -hmm. we want our directory to come up at the top referencing that woman-owned business photographer who signed up to be in our directory. And as we are moving towards one of the unfinished pieces of business of supplier diversity in Topeka, I mean, city government can't just keep spending $100 million a year and only doing $300,000 of business with black businesses. That uh, when these companies who say that we want to, well, we want to do more business with black businesses, but we just don't know where they're at or with small or women-owned businesses, like, here's the link to the website. Mm -hmm. There's no excuse for you to not be able to send bid solicitations. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to cut you off here in a second. I was <laughs> just And not to say that I'm cutting you off. Uh, the no. reason why I say that there's a, there's only so much bandwidth, bandwidth that could go up and to be loaded I at one time. Uh, we definitely going to be a part two to this. You know what it is. You know, definitely a part two. Uh, <laughs> and with that, I'm going I'm to close it out. But uh, there's definitely going to be a part two. Well, I appreciate this, I appreciate you for you know, for doing this. You know, and I appreciate you sitting down with me because, like I said, there's definitely going to be a part two because there is a lot of knowledge that you have <laughs> over the 30 years that you've been here. You know, plus uh, that we as Topekans and we as the Black community in Topeka need to know. Uh, and like I said, that 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 the whole mission of black mentors is to learn you know and the knowledge and the and the truths of black men so uh with that being said i appreciate you i i thank you i i'm i'm some black woman's son brother uncle you know nephew and uh and they hold me accountable yes 
the elders have to hold me accountable. I am accountable to them. They paved the way, and I got. I have to do something, you know, within my lifetime, to for what they did for me. And that's when anybody who walks into my airspace, that's where I think. That's where I'm coming from. Okay. All right. Well, closing this out. Uh, well, that's all for today's episode of Black Mentors, a production of Vice Land Media LLC. Correction, a production of Voiceland Media LLC. Thanks for listening and thank you to Lazone Grace for joining me today to discuss employment, entrepreneurship, training services, and youth development for youth offenders, low income parents, and aspiring entrepreneurs seeking to start or expand a business. Make sure you join us here every Wednesday as we ask, listen, learn, and invest in the knowledge and truth of black males from all social economic backgrounds. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned for a new episode every Wednesday on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Black Mentors, an affirmation and self-image. Thank you.